Well, I hope that you'll have some interest this morning in a very misunderstood text and probably the text that I've been asked about the most in my 21 years at this church by all different types of people along the way. So I hope to pique your interest and maybe you've had some of these same questions along the way in your life. Our text today is in the Gospel of John. And it is the 14th chapter. Now remember as you're turning there, I have to keep putting this in my own mind. This is Thursday night. We're washing the disciples' feet. We're having communion. And then Judas is gone. And now we've got these 11. It's called the farewell discourse. And so all of these things are being done and taught to these 11 because Jesus is departing. This is Thursday night. In just a moment, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to be sweating as if it were drops of blood. And then they're going to wake up the next day and their whole world's going to be upside down. Their Savior's going to be slaughtered on a tree. Everything's going to fall apart tomorrow for them. So whatever you understand of these texts, know their intent. Their intent is to comfort them, strengthen them, prepare them, let them know they're not abandoned. So make sure we at least have that in your thinking. John 14, uh, verses 12 through 17. Most people break it at 14, but me and Rudolf Snockenberg are going to hold it together through 17. So verse 12, in my text, I'm going to read it this way. John 14, verse 12. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever is believing in me, The works which I do, he will do also. And greater things he will do. Because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will petition the Father... And he will give you another paraclete, another helper, so that he may be with you into eternity. The Spirit of truth, whom the world is not able to receive, because it does not see him nor know Him. You know Him because He dwells or remains with you and will be in you. There is our text this morning. Now, there's all kinds of things that must be said, many different interpretations, but let me Begin the curiosity, I hope, where you will at least start thinking. So a text that is greatly misunderstood, and believe you me, you could spend the rest of your life on the interpretations that are out there. Two things. It gets misunderstood primarily because people don't have the discernment to be able to look at the Bible as a whole book. That's one. Number two, it gets misinterpreted because people come with presuppositions that are grossly slanted from their personal religious experiences. They bring those presuppositions to this text and demand this text to teach this. As one says, quote, Are you ready to experience miracles? Would you like to see them in your life and ministry? You already know works and greater works, they're taken to be miracles. Are you ready to see those in your life and ministry? If you believe in Jesus, 
That is possible. Jesus promised that it would happen when he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. This person goes on to say, it is important for you to understand the foundation for miracles if you're going to operate in them. He gives three foundational truths about miracles that will help you do greater works than Jesus. Here's the three. Number one, these miracles are available by resurrection power. Number two, they are available to every believer. Number three, you should ask for them in the name of Jesus. Note, in all that, you still haven't told me something greater. Right? I mean, the question is, what's greater? This presentation is, you can do miracles. Okay, fine, but what's greater than this miracle? So you start using logic, like there's a guy that's blind, and Jesus gives him sight, and you're going to do something greater. Well, if you do the same thing and give somebody sight, you haven't done something greater. You've done the same thing. If Jesus raises someone from the dead that's been dead for four days, and you raise someone from the dead who's been dead for four days, it's not greater. It's the same. You you say, well, how do we do it greater? Wait till he's dead for five days and then raise him? Here's one thing that might be greater. Try this one on. Walk out on the middle of Eagle Mountain Lake, stand on top of the water, and bring up a dead person who drowned and is at the bottom of the lake 40 years ago. If you do that, that might be greater and at least might listen to you. Reality is, it's not greater. It was just these miracles that they allude to are just simply the same if you could do them. Saying that, just trying to pique your curiosity. By the way, Increasing the number doesn't make it greater. It just means there's more of them. Now, numerous others will take this same text and explain the greater works to be quantity rather than quality. In other words, we will reach more people than Jesus reached. We'll cover more area than Jesus covered. That makes it greater. Jesus is in Palestine at the end of his ministry. He's got about 120 people. Peter preaches at Pentecost. 3,000 people believe. It's greater because there's 3,000 versus 120. And so they'll take the greater in number or they'll say greater in scope because now the gospel has encompassed the whole globe whereas Jesus only worked in this small area of Palestine. So they would explain it that way. There's people all over. And then they would explain also conversions to be greater. So if you lead more people to Christ than Christ did, that would be a greater work. Reinhard Bonnke proclaims to have led a million plus people to Christ in one night and even claimed that he counted the decision cards that night. You know how long it takes to count to a million? You don't because you ain't never done it. Anyways, okay, let's move on. Now, that's just to whet your appetite to think about the complications of the verse. Now, let me give you a thesis, and we'll deal with this thing. Here's my thesis. The ongoing reign of Jesus, because I go to the Father. He's reigning. The ongoing reign of Jesus in heaven. That reign is seen in His working through believers in the accomplishing of his works and even greater works which are necessary for the one main work. I haven't answered my position. We'll get there. But that's implying where I'm going to go. Now, let's take the text and begin to work with it. Verse 12 He says in verse 12, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever is believing in me, note, because there are those, we'll talk about it later, try to separate apostles from believers. But notice the text does say this, whoever believes. I would think that would mean most of the people in the room, maybe not everybody, but those who believe, whoever believes. So note that. Then you see the works which he did, which Jesus did, he, he's the one that believed, will do 
these works also. He's going to do these same works also in the future. That's what's going to happen. So notice this. The believer is going to do the same works that Jesus did. I'm not talking about greater right now. We're going to do the same works that Jesus did. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. We're going to do similar works that Christ did. So we have to ask the question, what works are being referred to? Now, I'm taking my position because of the use of the word works in the entirety of the gospel of John, and specifically in John chapter 10, verse 25. In John 10, 25, he says this about the works. The works that I do in my Father's name, Jesus speaking, the works that I do in my Father's name, they all accomplish one purpose. The works that I do in my Father's name, what are all these works for? Jesus says, they bear witness about me. That's what Jesus is saying. Everything I'm doing, everything I'm saying, Everything that's going on with me on, in human flesh on the earth is a testimony of who I am. This is the gospel of John. It's the whole purpose to reveal the Godhead in Christ before these Jews. Everything he's doing is a testimony of who he is. That's what he says in John 10, 25. The work of speaking truth, every truth he spoke was a testimony to himself. Every work he accomplished was a work that accomplished what he was sent forth to do, which was to redeem a people. All of Old Testament prophecy, everything necessary for atonement, everything necessary for redemption, everything he did was an accomplishing of a work of redemption. Self-testimony and redemption. These are the works of Jesus. The work of signs. Jesus did miracles. Nobody wants to start with John 1.1 when they want to duplicate miracles, but if we start with John 1.1, do remember Jesus spoke the entire universe into existence out of nothing. So when you get to greater works, you might want to think about that one when you create your new universe. Then you go to the water and the wine, then you go to the centurion's son, then you go uh, to, the, to the blind man, you go to the, uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda who laid there for 38 years, and Jesus said, why don't you just take up your mat and go home? Was that a greater work, or was the greater work your sins are forgiven? And then you go to this dead man in John chapter 11, he'd been dead four days, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus did miracles. Undoubtedly, it it happened throughout history. It's undeniable that these are the works. We're going to do the same works. Just hold that thought. The work of prayer, which he taught, showed his relationship between him and the Father. These works that he does, we will do also. And how in the world can we join in these works We join Jesus' work when we speak the truth and bear witness about him. That's what his works were doing, testifying about himself. So when you and I bear witness to the truth about the person of Christ, we are doing the same work he did. We're joining him in unity in this great work. We join Jesus when we declare his accomplished redemption. He's going through the process of redeeming for sure. We can't add to that and we can't take from that, but we can join that work when we proclaim that he did it. He accomplished everything necessary to redeem a people for himself. When we proclaim that redemption fully accomplished by Christ, we're a part of the same work he was doing, the work of redeeming lost sinners unto himself. We join Jesus' work when we participate in the supernatural works. 
You'll see that in the book of Acts with the apostles. You'll see healings. You'll see demons cast out. You see all of these things happening. Why were all of these things happening in the book of Acts? To confirm the birth of the church. All of these signs being done for the church to be birthed. Okay? We join this. How do you birth a church, brother or sister? How do you birth a church? You would have to take a dead man and make him live. How are you going to take a dead man and make him live? By the gospel. You're going to take a man who's spiritually dead, totally depraved, you're going to present the claims of Christ, the accomplished redemption of Christ, and you're going to say, you must repent and believe upon Christ. The old heart is ripped out, a heart of flesh is put in, he's regenerated, he has faith, and he is alive. The old has gone away, and everything becomes new. It's a miracle. It's a miracle only God can do to take spiritually dead people and make them spiritually alive. When we're a part of that work, we're agreeing and working the same works of Jesus. When you do the work of prayer, and you continually come to him in humble, dependent prayer, it's the same way Jesus functioned in his relation with the Father. To such a degree, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Same works. Now, illustrations all break down. I I know that. I'm giving you illustrations because I think they'll help. Not saying they'll match up perfectly, but I do think they will help. Let me give you this example. Let's build a house. Okay? Give me an example to help you understand this text. Let's build a house. How are we going to build a house? We have to start somewhere. Step number one, somebody has to pay for the material. If nobody pays, you got nothing to work with. You can't get concrete for free. You can't get rebar for free. You can't get tubifors for free. Somebody got to purchase what is necessary for the building of the house, right? Now, in that purchase then, it becomes possible to build the house, One person pours concrete. One person does framing. One guy does plumbing. One guy does electricity. One guy puts shingles on. One guy's a bricklayer. They're all doing the same works. They're all doing the same work. You say, well, he's a bricklayer and he's a tile layer and that guy's a plumber. That's not the same. It's all the same because it's one work. The work is the building of the house. When it comes to here doing the same works as Jesus, what's the work? The work is the establishing of the church. All the things that we do in participation with building the church makes us in agreement doing the same works Jesus did. Every facet of every gift being used for the establishing of the church is all of us doing the same works that Jesus did. All of his works. Think about it. Jesus' work on earth accomplished everything necessary for redemption. The price has been paid for the building of the church. The funds have already been taken care of. Everything necessary was purchased on Calvary's tree. Now, there's a lot of things that must happen. Pentecost must come. Then, after Pentecost, what do you find? You find local churches with real people in real locations. Ephesus, Galatia, Colossia. Philippi, all of these. Philemon is a house church, and Philemon is its pastor. Seven local churches in the book of Revelation. Sardis and Thessalonica, all these churches are real places. And you see, after Acts, what? Everything of emphasis. Who's qualified to lead her? Who's qualified to serve her? What do the old men do? What do the young men do? What do the older women do? What do the younger women do? How does this thing work? How do we behave in the household of God? Everything after Acts becomes about the church because that's the work. 
And everything we do as believers is a part of that work, and we're doing the same work that Jesus was doing. And then we have greater works. Actually, the Greek text just says greater things. Works has to be pulled into the text. But greater things, greater works. i give you interpretations, just a few. Uh, I agree with some of these. Some of these I certainly don't agree with. But here's the common theme. And I've searched this from all different denominations. It's not just a, a certain group. Greater in quantity... Is, is a big one, and it can happen in the sense of preaching the gospel or greater in quantity in the sense of the number of miracles that we're supposed to be able to do. So greater miracles are greater because they're more numerous, and that seems to be a prominent theme, whether it's miracles or conversion. Then the second one is greater in scope, meaning that it covers more of the area than Jesus covered. And then we have, it's a, I listened to this sermon, I won't give you the name, this one, this one really gets under my skin. Greater works means we have a greater message. I have a greater message than Jesus had? That's problematic and heretical. A greater ministry was the second point. I have a greater ministry than Jesus? Now, I just soon work with the ministry he already established. And then you have greater miracles, but this guy, not miracles in the sense of physical miracles, his greater miracles were the forgiveness of sins. I still have problems with that issue as well. But nevertheless, that was another view. Then we have many that proclaim that salvation is the greater work. Just simply preaching the gospel and people being converted. Spiritually dead people becoming spiritually alive is a greater work. Hold on. If bringing someone to salvation is a greater work than Jesus did, the implication is... Jesus never brought someone to spiritual life? Because if he brought someone to spiritual life, and then he uses me to bring someone to spiritual life, it's the same work. But the text says greater works. So at this point, we still haven't answered the question. What's greater? Even more numerous or more in scope, but have we answered the question, what's greater? And that's what seems to be lacking in every source that I look to. Now, giving you caution, I haven't found my view worked out in writing or on the sermon internet thing. I haven't found it. But I don't think it's totally off. If you don't like my view, then you have to work out your own. But I'm taking my view based on the implied biblical view. What do I mean by implied? Did these disciples understand exactly what Jesus was saying in this text? I'm going to lean to the side of no. Because Thomas is confused, and Philip is confused, and they ain't got all this stuff figured out, and they don't think they got it all together this Thursday night before they fall asleep while Jesus is praying. I don't think they got it all together. But, but my view that I'm going to present to you, I think they did finally get it. Why do I think they got it? It's because it's what they did. The greater thing they did, we look in the rest of the Bible and say, well, this is what happened, so I take what the result is, and I bring it back to this text. What is the result of what these apostles did? They birthed a church. That's what they did. You can't deny that. Read Acts. They preached the gospel in Solomon's portico, and people believed. And they sold all their possessions, they had everything in common, and it was added, they were added unto the Lord. They were added unto the church. A membership was formed. A location was formed. There were leaders set out. And then this thing began to spread. Church, 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 church. Leader, leader, leader. Qualified, qualified. Deacon, elder. All of these things established. And then all of this is built all the way through. And you get to the end, you find this out. When everything is said and done, Jesus is going to come back. Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. What's he coming for? His church. Because that's the work that he has set in motion, that he has paid for. It's the only institution on the globe that he has set his heart on. The preaching of the gospel. In the book of Acts, it says it this way. With great power... 
the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. Here's the great work. Prophecy's the great gift. The great work they were doing, preaching the gospel. But that's not the end. You go out and preach at Azel last night. That's not the end. It was fun to preach down Main Street, but that's not the end. That's not the end result. That's not the goal. The preaching of the gospel is for the building of a church where brothers and sisters come together by covenant and do church together until he comes for his church. The building greater work is the building of a true church, the birthing of a true church. Now understand, don't quibble with me, understand that it's because of Jesus we can have a church. But if we want to look at it technically, he never had a local church. He wasn't the pastor of whatever city and whatever church. He just made everything possible for there to be a church. So then in that instance, The church built for his glory and the glory of his Father is the greater work that is being done by believers. Now, when it comes to building a church, there's a lot of things have to happen for this thing to work. Churches die every day. Churches close their doors every day. Building a church, building a true church is a great work. It's going to take everything you got. A couple of things. You're going to have to be sustained in the preaching of the gospel verse by verse and line by line, week after week, after month, after year, after decade. Because if you lose the systematic preaching of the Word of God, the church will be lost. Do you know what it takes for a church to maintain integrity in the preaching of the Word of God over the course of decades? It's going to take a miracle. Churches are dying. Pastors are embezzling money and having affairs. People are falling apart and churches are closing and they're being sold out to some other pagan institution. Look, it's going to take a miracle to build a church. You know, just pick this thing in the microwave for 30 seconds and she pops out. It take a great work. It takes the establishment of true membership through the means of baptism, by immersion, communion, right exposition, and church discipline, holding people accountable and confronting them about sin. These are hard things. How do you get a person on Main Street to repent and believe the gospel and be baptized by immersion in this baptistry, partake of communion from this table, and then actively serve in this body where the church would be built? Dude, it takes a miracle. You think you can jolly just walk down there and say, hey, come do all these things? You can't pay them to do it. It's going to take a great work. And take a great God. And remember, because I go to the Father, He's the one doing the work through us for His work, for His glory unto the Father. It takes a group to build a church of genuine converts who will, what do you say? Go into all the world. Do what? What are we going to do out there, Jesus? Make disciples, which is the main point of the Great Commission. Making disciples is the main point. How are you going to make a disciple? You can't make a disciple by running across somebody on the street and seeing them once a month. You're going to make a disciple. You have to go to church together for a few decades, and you have to study the Bible together for about 30 years, and you have to go through hardships. You're going to have people die. You're going to have people caught in sin. You're going to go through repentance. You're going to go through church discipline. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be strengthened. You have to live all that out in order for there to be a church built. And that's going to take a great help by someone greater than you. We're going to need a lot of help to pull this off to build a church because you can't build one without Christ and the Spirit of God enabling it to happen. It's a great work. Let me put it, let me give you this example. All these examples break down, but just hear the heart of it. If getting married is a great work, 
Okay, I understand it takes a lot. Now, I did nothing. You can ask my wife. But you've got to buy this. You've got to buy this. You've got to do this. You've got to get the church. You've got to get the preachers. All this stuff that goes in. And all you're trying to do is get to the point where you say, I do. Okay, that's, that's a great work. It's a good work, right? You say, I do. It's not the great work. What's the great work? The great work is like my mom and my dad celebrating 60-something years of marriage. Now, there's a great work. If you can live with my mama for 62 years, dude, that's a great work. I was telling you, tell my mama I said that. But it's going to take a lot to sustain this thing until you die. Amen? So this work of building the church, that's a good thing. And that's what we ought to be about. Now, I'm going to tell you what a greater work is. Here's a greater work sustaining this place until Jesus comes. You see, that hasn't been done by anyone yet because the end hasn't come. This work has been going on for over 2,000 years, sustaining this thing called the Bride of Christ. This, this institution that he purchased with his own blood, this sustaining her, until the end. People come in, people go out, people do this, people do that. How in the world are we going to make another year? How are we going to survive through a pandemic? Churches closing doors, people running away, all this stuff. How can she be sustained? Lord, I need help. At least it's making sense with the text. Without preaching, without building the true church, without sustaining a true work, that Jesus purchased, all of it dies and is faded in lost memories. Thus birthing the church and doing the work it takes to sustain the church until he comes is a greater work than accomplishing all that is necessary for redemption. <laughs> Think about this. Jesus did everything necessary for redemption and redeemed no one. What? What would that look like? It would look like heaven empty. But he, he purchased by redemption that we could be a part of this work he's doing, this greater work of sustaining his church until he comes. Now, the given purpose, given cause and purpose, i got 15 or 20 minutes, you just hang on. The given cause and purpose because, how's that, how are you going to do the same work and do this greater work? In my interpretation, I'm taking to build the building of a true church and the sustaining of a true church. You don't like my view, that's fine, but that's my view. Now, how in the world are we going to pull this off? We're a bunch of rednecks from Briar in a town that doesn't exist. We're not all that smart, and we don't have it all figured out, and we're all kind of weird in our own little way, Right? So how are we going to do this? How are we going to build this church and sustain this thing? Well, here's the comfort. Here's the strength he gives to these apostles, and he's given it to us, whoever believes. Here it is. I'm going to the Father, and that's all that's necessary that you need to know in order for you to accomplish this work and to do the greater work of sustaining her. Okay, so you're abandoning us? No, 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 no. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to make a petition with my Father. And anything I petition him, he answers. You don't have to go through Mary or the Pope, I assure you. Whatever Jesus petitions, there's only one mediator. He petitions, and the Father grants it. And what's he going to grant? He says, I'm going to give you another paraclete. First John, Jesus is a paraclete. Here in our text, another paraclete. The great thing about Greek is there's two words for another there's another of a different kind, and there's another of the same kind. Here, another of the exact same kind. He's just like Jesus and just like the Father. What, what am I saying here? I'm saying that this Holy Spirit who is given, if Jesus is a person, He is a person. Note that the Spirit is not an it, and He's not a liquid, He's a person. Well, you didn't get all the Spirit. What did I get, a foot and a toe? He's a person. I received the Spirit of God. He dwells within me. And that's another sermon we'll get to later. But think about that. So here he comes. He's the same. If Jesus is divine, the Spirit is divine. It's because he goes to the Father. 
Now, in this text, he says this other thing that gets people so confused. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask, I'll do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And people take this text and just lose their ever-loving mind. Now, let's go back to building this house. I haven't lost the house-building concept. Let's go back to the house. Here you are, and Jack's the plumber, and Jack shows up for work, and he comes to the house, and he's going to plumb the house. And the boss, the one who paid the payment to cover all the materials, is there, and he talks to the boss. And the boss says, I want this house plumb. you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, and I want it done by Friday. And the boss says to Jack, whatever you need, you ask me anything, and I'll do it. And Jack says, I want to cruise to the Bahamas. You're fired. I'll get another plumber. You know good and well that that's not what the boss is saying to you. You know that if you need pipe or glue or whatever, he'll get it. Look, we're building a church. We're sustaining a church. Whatever you would ask King Jesus who reigns in heaven, whatever you would ask, you can ask him anything and he will do it if it's for his church. If it's for his glory and it gives glory to his Father, he's moving heaven and earth to make sure you have it in order that he gets the glory he deserves. There's nothing in this that says, oh, whatever I ask, I want a Ferrari for free. If you've seen the movie. That's not what he's saying. You know what he's saying here. You say, how do you know that? Because it's what happened. It's what happened. You look at Acts, and then you follow through the New Testament. This is the result, and it's still the result today. It's all for the glory of the Father. So the Son, the Father receives glory. Listen, the Father receives glory when the Son gets honored give you an example. This is not the house building. It's not a marriage. A father sends his son to a reputable college. The father gets glory when the son graduates. And if the son gets honors in the graduation, the father receives even more glory. Look, here's what's happening here. The father sends the son to redeem lost humanity. When the Son accomplishes the mission of redemption, the Father receives glory. When the church is built and the church is sustained, the Father gets more honor because the Son is honored in the building of His church. Well, is there any conditions to this? Well, sure there are. There's at least one. Shortest point of the sermon. If you love Christ, if you love Him, then you will keep His commandments. I can see a text. I got all kinds of text in my notes. I'm not going to read them all. They all say the same thing. Love me, keep my commandments. His commandments are not a burden, they're a delight. Okay. All right, what does that mean? How in the world are you going to keep commandments without a church? Pray tell me, how are you going to keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't have a church? Let's love one another. If we don't have a church, I don't know who the other is. Well, if you have aught with your brother, who's my brother? I don't even have a church. Well, if you have aught with your brother, you've got to bring them before the, before the church if they don't repent. How am I going to bring you before the church if we don't have a church? How am I going to encourage you all the more as I see the day approaching if I don't even know who you are and confront him about his sin and tell him I'm going to present him before the church we don't go to? I'm going to love him and I'm going to serve him, but I don't know how I'm going to serve him because I don't know where he lives and we never do anything together and we have no agreement together. We have no covenant together. You can't do these things of commands of God where he says, love one another. You can't do it unless you've come together by covenant in a thing called church membership where we make a covenant to the church and the church makes a covenant to us and then we bind together in like a marriage covenant together and we do church together until we die. 
We love one another. We encourage one another. We serve for one another. We pray for one another, interceding for one another, walking alongside one another. And when one hurts, we hurt. And when one laughs, we laugh. And we share all these things together. And we do this throughout our lives until Jesus comes. That's the church. And if you don't have her, you got nothing. All you can do is look in the mirror and sing to yourself. I hate singing to myself because I can't sing. I can sit on this front row and sing with all my gusto. I had never hit the right note yet, but I have a church family that knows that, and you love me anyways. And we sing, and we worship. As we're building the church, we're trying to sustain her. Small band of believers here in our text. They never traveled anywhere, not that far. They're commanded to take the gospel to all the world. Surely there's fear and incomprehension that takes over their minds. On top of their fear and doubt, their leader is departing. But the eternal comfort that is given is the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verses 16 and 17, I love this because Isaiah 8 does the same thing. But here, I love it again. There's only one solution to fear and doubt. Just one. I don't need a 12-step formula. It ain't going to work. It's just it's simple to remember. There's only one gift that will help you. The Holy Spirit to dwell in you until the end of the age. That's his answer to relieve all doubts, all fears, and all confusion. Guys, don't worry. Jesus went to heaven and he petitioned the Father and the Father gave the Holy Spirit your helper. <laughs> If you don't get it, look here, here, try this. If you, if you don't get what I'm trying to put down here, if you don't get it, try this. Imagine getting out of this room today and going to Podunk, Wyoming, in the middle of a suburb there somewhere on the west side, and you go there and you build a church. Get to it. Just get in your car and drive to the west side of Wyoming and start a church. If you seriously went out to do that, you're afraid. You're like, how in the world? Who's there? I don't know anybody. All these fears come. And that's where these guys are. You want us to go to all the world? I haven't been out of Palestine. Where do you want me to go? Everywhere. But all you need is the third person of the Godhead to accompany you. And you have everything you need to build the church and to sustain her. You will not have to look outside of Him. You don't have to try to find a program. You don't have to have blue and red lights with smoke screens and the music that makes the emotion this or that. What you need is the Spirit of God dwelling in you, sealing you until the day of redemption, empowering you and enabling you to build church, sustain church, and be Christian in a fallen world. And if you don't have the Spirit, you're never going to accomplish it. Who is the Spirit? This is another sermon, but just for a foretaste of it. John 16, a few chapters later, this is what he says. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, that's what he's called in our text, the Spirit of truth. But in John 16, the same thing. When the Spirit of truth comes, what's he going to do? He will guide you into all truth. For he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Notice what the Spirit will do. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine, declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the Spirit will declare it to you, guide you, one glorify the Son. How are you going to glorify the Son? You have to have a church, and the church must be sustained. What truth did the Spirit guide them unto? You say, how can you come to that conclusion? Because that's the question. What did the Holy Spirit of God guide these apostles to do? Read Acts. Again, I've said it three or four times. Read Acts. What did they do? Everything is invested in the church. You say, well, yeah, but what about after Acts? Well, then you could get Romans, and you could get a doctrinal exposition upon what the gospel is, and then you could see it applied in the church in 12 through 16, and then you go on into Corinthians, and where are you? You're at the church of Corinth. 
And when you leave the church of Corinth, you could go to Galatia, and then you go to Ephesus, and then you could go to Philippi. You, you go through all these places, you say, everything becomes about the church. Right. But he's only known to believers. Right? And y'all hang on, hang on. We get, get, let's finish this thing. The world, text says, the world, is not able, you don't have the ability to receive him. They have not seen him, him being the Holy Spirit, and they have not known him. What I just preached to you makes no sense to the world. None. They don't get it. Well, last night we walked down Main Street preaching, there's a lot of people going, that guy's an idiot. That church has lost their marbles. They don't understand. They don't get it. I'm not shocked by that. My text tells me they don't understand. But then he says, but you, you know him. You know the Holy Spirit. He, he dwells in you, and he will be in you for all of eternity. Look, I'm not a second-rate Christian. I'm not a guy that only got 20% of the Spirit like he's a liquid. I'm not that guy. When I got saved, the Spirit of God regenerated me and came to dwell in me, took up residence, and he's sanctifying me. And everything I need for this life and the life to come, I possess. And so do you as a believer. If you're not a believer, you don't even understand what I'm talking about. Now, let's put it in the Apostle Paul's words. If all of that doesn't track for you, you just ask yourself, does the Apostle Paul get what my pastor just preached to me? Does the Apostle Paul know what Pastor Randall's talking about today? Ask yourself that question, and you look in the book of Colossians that was written to a local church at Colossae. So you look in Colossians and you go to chapter 1. You can turn there in your Bibles right now. And you read along and you decide whether or not you think the Apostle Paul has any parallel agreement with what's being said. So Paul says to the church at Colossae, beginning in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking? I'm filling up what's lacking. I'm doing a greater work here, guys. It's not complete. I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Why is he doing this? For the sake of his body, comma, the church. That's why Paul's doing what he's doing, because it's about the church. That's the work. That's the greater work. I give my life and pour out everything I have for three years without tears, I've warned you. Why? Because the church is that valuable. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. It was given to me for you. Why? To make the Word of God fully known. This mystery, greater thing, this greater thing, this mystery we didn't understand, is hidden for the ages and generations, but now it's been revealed to the saints. To them, to you, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is... Christ in you. Just Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now notice the last line. Paul says, for this I toil. I struggle with great energy. you got to get the last line. Paul's working, he's responsible, he's laboring, he's preaching, he's wanting Christ formed in them, the church to be built, the church to be sustained. I'm tolling, I'm using every amount of energy I have that he, 
powerfully works in me. Because the the son went to the father, and he petitioned the father to send a helper. And here Paul says, that's why I'm able to do this ministry, because the one he sent is powerfully working in me to accomplish this work. Every believer in the room should be a part of the building of the church and sustaining her. It takes love, it takes service, it takes money, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes sweat, it takes tears, it may take blood at times. It takes everything of our lives and consumes us. But I have good news. The Holy Spirit is sufficient to enable you to pull off this work and sustain this greater work. One last note. It's kind of a sidekick. For those of you that don't do any work for the church, that don't do any service to sustain her, remember what it said previously. The works I do, that's Jesus, you will do also. If you're not doing those works, the conclusion from the text is what? The world is not able to receive because it has not seen or known him. If you're not investing in the church and serving her, what am I supposed to include other than you're unregenerate? Because every born-again believer falls in love with Christ and His church and does the same work, whether you're hanging sheetrock or framing up with nails. It's still the same work, building a church and sustaining her. If you're not doing that, you have to ask yourself this morning, why not? Like, pray tell me, what else are you going to do? Think about it, church. You say, well, I come here on Sunday mornings. What what more do you want from me? What else are you going to do with your life? Build an empire? Build your bank account? Build a 401k? You're going to build a sports team? I mean, what are you going to do? All that stuff is wasted. The only thing on the face of this globe that matters to Christ is his bride. Invest in her with everything you have, and you will have no regrets when you stand before the king on Judgment Day. Brother Jeff, come and lead us in our final song, please.